Thank you for joining the Home Church Podcast. For more information about Home Church, visit us at myhomechurch.org. Amen. What a beautiful morning. (laughs) I just really need to say, Lord, bless what you're doing right now. Uh, And let it go deeper and deeper in the name of Jesus. Man. Uh, So exciting. It's kind of unbelievable to think that we stand on the brink of 2024. I was uh, just kind of kind of jokingly thinking about I'm I'm almost positive. I've watched movies long ago that future dates were set in this year. (laughs) I think uh, last year we passed um, Back to the Future was set in 2023 or something like that. So it's pretty wild to to see that. But um, yeah, we, we stand on the brink of a new year with new challenges, but new breakthrough, new victories. Uh, we get to see new testimonies and, and, and have new testimonies of God's faithfulness. And so I'm just, I'm ex- really excited for all that God will do in this upcoming year. Um, as, a, as a community, there are certain rhythms that we're going to stay faithful to and, and certain things we're going to hold to, but we're, we're also praying and, and planning and, and looking for God to, I know he'll do new and fresh things in, uh, in this year. And when we look back, it'll be amazing to stand in awe of all that's happened. So um, all I wanted to do just this morning, I, I, I kind of just going to switch gears and I just want to speak for a few minutes just into who we are as a community, because with so much new that I know is going to unfold this year, um, it's important that we just stay true to certain things God has spoken over our, our, our house and, and really set vision again clearly for us. So for some of you, there may be things that we bring up that seem have becoming well-worn paths, <laughs> hopefully, and, uh, and that's a good thing. Um, for others, it may be brand new, uh, which is also a beautiful thing. But either way, I just I pray at, at, from a shepherd's heart that we would come out of today with all that we're going to do, all the ministries we have, you know, discipleship groups, evangelism, alpha. Uh, I mentioned with our impact team the other night, um, we're, we're definitely in some form going to launch youth group this year. It's time with so many kids going into that, which would be awesome. And, and other things that we want to do. So with all those things, it's just important that... Um, it's important that we fight for and protect, though, the core of who God has called us to be. And, uh, and really going back to COVID years, we went under uh, through a radical shift. I feel like we always had the language, but God really began to just bring us into what it means to really build around his presence, to be, to be that simple. Um, and, and God led us on a journey of exploring what it means to be a house of prayer. And, and from all these things, from, all, from the house of prayer, every ministry is birthed. So I want to speak into this and and just encourage our hearts. Um, Psalm 127 verse 1 says that unless the Lord builds the house, the builders, the laborers labor in vain. And I find there's two, it's like a double-edged sword, that promise. On one side, there's there's a pretty stern warning there that there's potential for us to be building things corporately and in our own lives that we are actually accomplishing the very thing that we set out to do. It's, It's looking good. Um, but before the Lord, he's actually not, not pleased because it's not connected to his heart. It wasn't the strategy he gave. It's, it's not tethered to kingdom realities. Therefore, it's a very shakable thing. Um, Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 3, every single one of us will come before the Lord. And in his love, we pass, pass before his purifying fire. And although we would be saved, works that were born from impure motives, out of jealousy and competition, or things that we were good things but God never said to do it, it says those things actually get burned up. It's a pretty sobering reality, um, but that which was from the Lord, that which is a part of the kingdom remains, and all I know is I want to build 
I want to build according to what God has for us. And, and so the other side of that promise that I just read is that God wants to build. It's a great truth that God wants to advance his kingdom. That's clear. It's going to happen. And he desires that we would be a part of that plan. Uh, and so I just sense the Lord's, this morning, I sense his jealousy to want to be the architect of this house, to be the divine engineer that's crafting uh, and, and planning. And, and we get to the, um, the joy of carrying it out, but it's the Lord doing it. I once heard a few years ago when we were starting, and it's always stuck with me, that when it comes to building with the Lord, it's like when your kid wants to help you move something heavy, <laughs> and they're holding it, and they're saying, look how good I'm doing. Now, they're actually not holding any of the weight, um, but they're a part of it, and you're, you're saying, what a great job you're doing. They may even be slowing you down, but you, there's such a joy of the parent to include them into it, and God could come and do everything himself. But in his wisdom and in his love, he, he loves to work through his creation. And so he's given us strategies and blueprints, and I, I just want to be faithful to that. Um, I, I'm not saying that what we talk about this morning is, is the way it has to look in every church, but we feel confident this is how God has called us to, to move forward. So um, all that to be said, let's turn to First Chronicles 13, please. And I believe, oh, awesome. Oh, they, they put that on the fly. Look at them. So again, um, the simplest way to see this is we're, we're a house that wants to build truly around the presence of God. And, um, and the prayer room is, is key with that. Again, every ministry is so valuable. Uh, it's not about one's better than the other, but I believe there's an order. And we want everything to flow from this place of communion and encounter. So we're going to look at First Chronicles chapter 13. I'm going to read a few verses here. So we're going to look at two different uh, scriptures in 1 Chronicles 13, then 15, and then we're going to finish off in Acts. And we're going to see what this looks like in the New Covenant. Um, what we're about to read is an excerpt regarding, regarding the life of David. Now again, for some of you who've been around, uh, we speak about David a lot. He's a very significant figure. And David's life and leadership is truly set apart. In fact, just consider this. The Father said that when my son comes, the second person of the Trinity, the eternal word of God, he will be forever known and identified and attached with this label over him. He will be known as the son of David. That's an incredible uh, um, just principle that God has identified himself as the son of David. He said he's going to always be known as coming through the line of David. And I believe it's because what David set his heart after is what was in the heart of God. This is what makes David a man after God's own heart. And there is something in the life of David and the leadership of David that so moved and provoked the creator of the heaven and earth. And David's life is not meant for us to just look at and say, well, that was David. No, no, no. It's an invitation for us to build according to the, the thing that gripped David, God wants to, I believe, grip our hearts with. And that the leadership that David, how he led is how I want to lead and how I believe God wants like, leaders in this day to be leading by. So I just, I pray in all that, that we'd be really, really encouraged uh, and that we'd look to David, and that you'd be encouraged that David is not perfect. <laughs> that, that's not a license to stay where we are, but it is encouraging because it tells me God said, hey, this is a man after my own heart, and if you know David's story, it's pretty jacked up. It has some really uh, strong blemishes in his life, and I just want you to know that your, some of your failures and weaknesses and shortcomings are not disqualifying you from, from being a man or a woman that God says, that's someone after my heart. Oh, that's someone when you bring up their name, it moves me. In Psalm 132, the vow of David, it's a psalm uh, about Solomon. And Solomon says, remember David. 
Think about this. Solomon knew that if he just mentions his father's name, something happens in the heart of God. He says, remember David. And God's like, yes, David, <laughs> my faithful servant. Uh, so there's a place where we can live such a life that for, for eternity, like then our name, not because of us, but what God did through our surrender, it's like it, it means something to him. So we're coming up to a portion of scripture where I believe it really captures the essence of what separated David from, from everyone else and made him a man after God's own heart. And, um, and what you have here is there's been a lot written prior to this on David's life, if, you, if you're familiar with the story. But this is the first time where David's going to make a public address as the legitimate king of Israel. All right, so he's been prophesied to be king. He's had a long journey of running from Saul, maybe a decade or so. But this is where Saul is now dead, and he's finally stepping forth as the rightful king, and he's going to address the people. And I just, I want you to just keep in mind and just begin to hear, like, what he's going to say and do. So let's read verse 1 and 2 that sets the stage. Verse 1 of 1 Chronicles 13 says, David consulted with the commanders of thousands and of hundreds and with every leader. And David said to all the assembly of Israel, if it seems good to you and from the Lord our God, let us send abroad to our brothers who remain in all the lands of Israel, as well as to the priests and Levites in the cities that have pasture lands, that they may be gathered to us. All right? So here's everything I just explained. David steps finally as the legitimate king, and what he has here is he's gathering everyone together. He's gathering commanders of the army. He's gathering the people who have been scattered. He's gathering the priests and leaders of all sorts, and he's going to bring them in together. And it's important to know that the backdrop of this is that Israel is in a national crisis. Under the former king, who was Saul, think about it, the last few years of Saul, he essentially turned into a demonized tyrant who had completely cut the people off from God. So they're in a state where David's now taking on the, the, the role of leadership. Israel's in desperate need of being revived and restored on all fronts. Their economy, militarily, they've suffered defeats. They are utterly just destroyed and depleted because of a man who was leading counter the way God had called. Now David steps into position, and he's going to give his, what we would call his inaugural address. This is his opening speech to really set the agenda for what will mark his leadership. Like, what are you about, David? What are you going to do? You see all the brokenness around. How are you going to fix this? And the question could be, will David focus on military? Will he invest and boost the military? Will he reform the economy? Will he build infrastructure? Well, let's see what David does as his first move as king. Verse 3, he says, then let us bring again the ark of our God to us. For we did not seek it in the days of Saul. Verse 4, all the assembly agreed to do so, for the thing was right in the eyes of all the people. First move of David, comes in the office, says bring everyone. Bring the leaders, bring the priests, bring the commanders. David, what are we going to focus on first? And he says, first thing we're going to do is we're going to go take the ark of God and we're going to put it right back in the center of our people. The ark of God for the old covenant is representative of the presence of God. This is the throne of God. It's representative of the kingdom of God. The ark represents the glory of God and all of his fullness. What the ark is for the old covenant is what Jesus is in the new covenant. 
And so what he's doing, what, what David's doing is he steps in the office and says, I, I see all that's going on. I realize all the brokenness. But if anything is going to be set right, the first thing we need to do is bring God right back to the center of our lives. He says, for we did not seek it in the days of Saul. It is believed that during Saul's leadership, actually we know this, how long is, is debated, but the Ark of the Covenant was left in, in a, a barn-like structure in kirith Jerem For 40, maybe 70 years, the Ark of the Covenant was left there. So what that means is that when Saul was leading, he was leading void of the presence. He said, it's like Saul comes in and says, I'm wise enough, I'm strong enough, I have the skill enough, I, I can articulate clear enough, I can do this myself. And what that, that type of leadership did is it led Israel into utter destruction. It's humanistic leadership. Today we see we have slick enough advertisement to win people. We, we, can, we can win people with clever, uh, clever ideas. And we always say, what you win people with is what you keep them with. And, and this is the way Saul led, presenceless leadership saying, yeah, God's good, but we'll just keep him on the fringes. We have what it takes. My, my wisdom is good enough. And David's first act is, no, no, if we're ever going to set things right, God's presence has to come right back to the center of all that we are doing. His political strategy has put God in our midst. And that strategy is the same strategy for us guys. <laughs> It's so simple it becomes offensive <laughs> because every time I want to tap more into my strengths, which God uses all the things he's given us, certainly, but whenever I want to, like, it's just easy to run in, in places I feel strong, the very thing that God does is he kind of just strips me down and says, no, I want you to bring people around my presence. I, 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 want, I want to be the center of all that's taking place here. And so the Lord has David call all the people and say, no, the first thing we're going to do is we're going to seek God. And Guys, this is our strategy for Mastic Beach. <laughs> it's our strategy for Long Island and seeing the city rest restored. We look around and see similar things that I'm sure David saw. There was idolatry. It says they didn't seek the ark, God, in the days of Saul. The, Dr. Michael Brown was speaking about that phrase, seek, means they didn't worship God. It wasn't just like a momentary seeking. Their lives were not characterized by worshiping God. They worshiped idols. And David's first move is, no, 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 we're not just going to rebuild Neighborhood Road. <laughs> That'll come. We're not just going to try to touch the economy first. That'll come because when God's kingdom starts sweeping through an area, everything gets touched. But David says the first move we're going to do is we're going to set up God's presence. Now, this was the ark. Now, the presence isn't us. That's what Jesus will take this to a whole other level. But the idea is still the same. We're going to lead a people to come around the presence of God and begin to seek his face right in the midst of all the brokenness. And you're going to watch how from that place, God's going to spill out and start reforming and touching and renewing hearts. Notice, well, I'll say this. I believe this is, this is what marked David's life. This is the one thing David was after. Uh, Psalm 27, 4, Psalm 132, if you know them, uh, David said there's one thing that he longs for. One thing doesn't mean only thing, but it means it's the chief thing. That he would be before God, beholding the face of God. And I want you to know our one thing in this house, not the only thing, there's many things we do, but the one thing, the chief thing, the foundational cornerstone is that we would lead a people to behold the presence of God. This is what David wanted. This is what he longed for, that he would see his face and, and be transformed in, in the process of, of doing that. I, I, I see it as this. There's one, David, who's calling all to the one thing. One is calling all to one thing. And that's what I feel in my heart. <laughs> Uh, there's, there, we're, we're calling all to one thing, that we would be unified in this pursuit. For, listen carefully in verse 3 what David says. 
then let us bring the ark again. To, then let us bring again the ark of our God to us, for we did not seek it in the days of Saul. And all the assembly said, this is good. In other words, David said, if we're going to see this, our people and this nation revived, this cannot be one or a handful of people who are, who are after this. David understood we need to be ultimately unified in this pursuit. He said, let all of us, let's put the ark right back in the midst of of our people, and we're all going to start seeking God like we've never have before. This is, we're meant to live a lifestyle personally like this, but there is something unique and special when a people come together and give their hearts to it. There is a grace that spills out over a community when you have an entire family locked in ar- locked arms, worshiping, fasting, praying, seeking God in this manner and encountering him. Well, as we'll see in just a moment, it leads to revival. God will begin to restore and, and refresh everyone. So I, I'll leave on this passage. I know I'm not alone in this. I know you, if you're sitting in this tent, you feel the same, but... I want to build with people, as I know you do, who are not content just to have successful classes and programs. (laughs) Um, We want those things. Those become instruments and vessels for the thing we're talking about. But I want to lock arms with people who are fascinated and obsessed with the presence of the Lord. (laughs) And that's what God is bringing together. And sometimes that can look strange and and different, and that's, that's okay. Sometimes it looks like if worship was different for you, it's because we're, we want him. And we're going to see more of that. I'm going to explain even what happened this morning. I'm going to give you some, some things in Scripture to, give, to articulate that. But we're people after his presence, and we believe this is, this is what's going to transform. So I want you to come two chapters later to 1 Chronicles 15. First Chronicles 15. Because it's one thing to say, okay, what separates David and his life and his leadership is he says the ark, Jesus for us, is going to be everything. We're going to put him right back again as a central. He's going to have preeminence. But how do you actually do that? And in some respects, I think there's a blank canvas. Uh, God is allowing us and bodies to uniquely hear his voice and, and fulfill that in different ways. I don't think it's like a set thing. But David gives us some some guidelines that, that have really touched our life and how David actually now pursues the presence. Because what do we do? Do we just put the ark in the center and just keep living our lives as we ever were? No, no, David actually put the ark and then says, now we're going to start doing something regularly, and this is how we're going to see God start transforming hearts. So let's read verse 1 and 2 of First Chronicles 15. It says, David built houses for himself in the city of David, and he prepared a place for the ark of God. And pitched a tent for it. Now again, all this is types and shadows. We're now the tent of the Lord. Uh, and the ark lives within us. So again, when, when G- we're going to see this. When Jesus steps on the scene, he doesn't abolish what David did. As the son of David, he actually brings it into its fullest expression. Now, what David longed for, we get to have in greater depths, greater experience. So he pitches a tent, prepares a place, puts the, the ark right in the middle. And then verse 2 says, Then David said, that no one but the Levites may carry the Ark of God. Who are the Levites? They're the priests. So in the Old Covenant, only the priests could carry the presence. Who are priests in the New Covenant? <laughs> Every single person. In fact, you're not just Levites. You're part of a different order. Uh, you're actually under the order of Melchizedek now. And if some of you are like, what does that even mean? You can go to Hebrews, and we're going to see David give a prophetic picture of this in a moment. But it's where now, as a new covenant figure, you're not just a priest, you're a kingly priest. 
The order of Melchizedek is that you can be a king and a priest. In fact, the way that you release God's authority on the earth is by functioning as a priest. It's through intimacy that you get to extend the garden. Adam and Eve function as priests. They were to move the border of the garden until the whole earth was covered with that. How? By walking with God. It, this, is, this is what God is restoring. You, you and I get to go back to the garden now. The Great Commission is really, it's, a, it's just a reinstatement of the original commission. Subdue the earth. Go. Now we get to function before the presence of God and do all this. So let, let's just let's read it again. Verse 2. Then David said that no one but the Levites, the priests, may carry the ark of God, may be carriers of the presence. For the Lord had chosen them to carry the ark of the Lord and minister to him forever. So the priests were given this unique role to minister to God forever. All right. This is not going to be an in-depth teaching on David's tabernacle. Uh, we've been there, and we will come back at some point. How many have ever heard of David's tabernacle, though? Some hands. You have some familiarity. All right. I'm just going to, I just want to give you some cliff notes because it helps. But David's tabernacle is very unique. It's not like Moses' tent. It's not like Solomon's temple. If you remember uh, Moses and Solomon, they had a holy place and then a holy of holies with a veil. And only the high priest could go into the holy of holies where the ark was one day of the year, the day of atonement, Yom Kippur. That's not what David does. David does something radically different. David takes the ark, pitches a tent, and puts the ark right in the middle, and then he's going to call all the priests to come right before the ark every single day. <laughs> so what he does is he, he, he builds a tent on Mount Zion. Have you guys ever read how significant Mount Zion is? It, it, it becomes synonymous with the blessing of God. It becomes synonymous with where Jesus will return. It's Zion. Why is Zion so set apart? Because what David is doing right here. David pitches a tent, and for 33 years, which is also prophetic for Jesus, he, he hires 10,000 employees. This is all in the scripture. Thousands of singers, musicians, and gatekeepers. And 24-7, all the priests, not just one priest, all the priests get to come before the ark of God and worship and intercede morning and night. And what God does is, for those 33 years, they stop offering sacrifices of animals, and they offer sacrifices with their lips, <laughs> Worship, praise, intercession. Guys, this is all prophetic picture of the new covenant. You say, how could David do this? I wonder that all the time. Was David breaking the law? How can you have no veil? How can you have no animal sacrifices? This is staples of the old covenant. No, I don't believe David's breaking the law. I believe he's compelled by the Spirit to give the earth a preview of what's going to happen when the Messiah tears the veil. So David steps in and says, it's, it's the same thing with Melchizedek, if you know that figure. He's, he arrives in Genesis, this strange priestly figure, and then gone. Throughout the Old Testament, you'll see these unique windows where God is like, I want to show you where it's all going. And then it closes up for a second and goes back. That's David's tabernacle. Uh, actually, I love, uh, I forget who said it. It might have been Bill Johnson. He talks about how maybe it's also possible that David's hunger pulled on something that wasn't really meant to be for his time. <laughs> That it was for a future date, but our hunger can actually, God says, I'm going to do this here, but oh my goodness, these people are so hungry, I'm going to actually allow something that was reserved for a future day to be broken in now. However you want to see it, there was this prophetic picture of new covenant worship, guys. That's what they're doing. This is, this is amazing. So they set up this tabernacle. Priests are coming before the ark morning and night. They're worshiping and they're interceding. And God so responds us that he breathes all over David's leadership and all over the nation of Israel. During David's leadership, they experience what's known as the golden age. 
They start expanding militarily. They have victory after victory. All of a sudden, the economy starts flourishing. The land starts prospering. In fact, every king that comes after, they're always held in standard of, did they walk in the ways of David? Do you know that there are seven Old Testament revivals? <laughs> we'll actually circle back to this when we talk on David's tab in another day. But here's what's amazing. Every single revival in the Old Testament, whether it's figures like Jehoshaphat, Hezekiah, they lead the nation into revival. Every single one has the same phrase in it, that that king, when he was raised up, it says he called the priest to go back to the order of David. In other words, they come back to this principle of bringing a people in, in this place where they'll worship, intercede morning and night. And every time they do that, God starts touching the hearts of people. Why? Because this is how God's kingdom primarily rides in on worship and intercession. Like David, guys, David understood that this was more than singing songs in a tent. <laughs> so when we go in our prayer room, this is what it's all connecting. In our prayer room, Thursdays and Fridays, we're not just singing songs. We are, but you have to understand, this is not just a worship prayer movement. It's a kingdom movement. Because this is what God moves where he's honored, welcomed, invited. This is, this is how spiritual authority works, agreement. You open doors to the wrong things by making agreement. How do you close doors and open the right doors? Agreement. So when you have people that are saying, that are offering thanksgiving, praise, worship, partnering with what's in God's heart and interceding, what you're doing is making agreement with God. That shuts every false door and opens up amazing doors <laughs> where God starts riding in and just, it's a resting place. His glory starts resting on a people in increasing measure. And this is what David saw. Do you know that over 70% of the Psalms are written by David? Over 70% of David's Psalms came from David's tabernacle. This is amazing. How many of those songs deal with the Messiah? <laughs> Do they have any idea that they were, all these Psalms would be, have their ultimate fulfillment in a coming Messiah? No. It says, though, that the lead uh, worshipers and musicians, they would prophesy with their instruments. They would come before the presence of God. And, guys, they were touching the deep things of the Lord. They start lifting up songs, having no idea that the songs that they're penning are about a coming deliverer Messiah. They had no idea that thousands of years later, we'd be singing those same songs. Most of those songs, they probably didn't, they didn't even see the fulfillment of it. Meaning, could it be possible that when we come before God in the place of the prayer room and start lifting up songs, God births new songs that we're singing that, that we don't even realize are speaking of acts of freedom, deliverance, movements of God that we won't even see in our time. But later down the road, someone will say, oh, these were songs that they sang, and we're living in it now. We're singing David's songs of the Messiah, saying, man, he didn't get it, but we're, they were releasing these deep prophetic songs. They were seeing things that they didn't fully grasp. God was moving so powerfully by restoring the priesthood identity um, to, to these priests that were in, a, in the nation of Israel. Notice... Uh, as I said before, that David wasn't breaking the law by any means, but I believe he's compelled by the Spirit. Look at verse 27 of chapter 15. This is so beautiful. Oh, perfect. It's up there as well. So imagine this whole procession. The ark is being brought in. They're going to place it in a tent. And look what it says about David. David was clothed with a robe of fine linen, as also were all the Levites who were carrying the ark. The singers and Chenaniah, the leader of the music of the singers, and David wore a linen ephod. Now, it's really easy to hear this, and if you have no base, say, what does that even mean, and keep going. But what this is saying is profound, because David is a king from the line of Judah. 
And what the garments he's putting on are priestly garments. You are not allowed to do this. The only way you could put on the ephod and the fine linen is you need to be from the line of the, of the Levites. Here, David is exchanging his kingly garments for, uh, for priestly garments, and he's going to start explosively dancing as the ark comes in to the city of Jerusalem. What is he doing? He's prophetically declaring, I don't think he fully gets this, but he's prophetically declaring what God is going to do when the Messiah comes with every single person. For by the blood of Jesus, what has he made us? A royal priesthood. What is that? We are a kingdom of priests. Revelation 1.5 says he shed his blood to free us from sins and make us a kingdom of priests. When David takes off the kingly garments, puts on the priestly garments, it's like, it's, it's, it's giving this window of this is where everything's going. He's prophetically declaring there's one king and all will have access to him. I just think that's amazing. And now in the new covenant, because of the blood of Jesus, the Ark of the Covenant lives in us. The resting and dwelling place is us. And we get to come before God as priests. And as we worship and intercede, we release his authority. His kingdom of God is ever extending through us. And I just think it's so amazing. So one other thing back in verse 2. I just want you guys to see this and we'll move into uh, the final thing. Notice what David calls the priest to do. He calls the Levites to be carriers of the presence and that they would minister to the Lord forever. Do you guys see that? So he's restoring priestly function to the priests, which is their central role is to minister to the Lord forever. Now, again, if you've been in this house, this is truly a well-worn path that we have been many times, ministry to the Lord. But for those who have never been around, I just want to, re, I want to reemphasize this point here. Uh, most of the time when we think of ministry, we immediately think of ministry to man. Now, I say this every time. You, we can't be a new covenant church without ministry to man. We'll, we'll never, you can't extend the kingdom of God without ministry to man. I love, what I'm doing right now is ministry to man. I love to teach. I love to pray for the sick. I love I was just thinking about the gospel crusades, those altars that are just like supernatural. That's, it's incredible. I, I like, I live for that. All of that is glorious and beautiful. That's ministry to man where we're meeting the needs of man. But as a priest, you have a ministry that actually precedes that ministry. You have a ministry that comes first before any other ministry to man. It's called ministry to the Lord. When God created you and me, he didn't create us out of need. He's perfect, but he did create us out of desire. Because God is love, he has desire. And when he created us in love and out of love, he created us to love us and to receive that love back. Which means what we did this morning, when you come in before God and you start lifting your hands, you, you, dance, you stand in silence, whatever God's leading you to do, and you start blessing God, you start thanking him, you start praising him, the Bible says that worship is ministering to the heart of God. That literally means the, the, the heart of the creator of the heavens and earth is moved provoked, stirred, blessed by little old me and you, the weakest, thank you, God. <laughs> Life seems to be unraveling, but I come into this tent and I just say, God, you are worthy of it all. And God says, you don't understand. That blesses me. That ministers deeply to me. So when we minister to the Lord, this ministry is about responding to the desire of God. Do you know God has desire? <laughs> He's not a stoic being. He, the scriptures reveal him with jealous love and passion and pursuit. 
Uh, Jesus himself said in John 17, Father, I desire that they who you've given me, that they may be with me. God has desire. Above all, God desires that you and I would draw near to him and that we would be before him as priests, ministering to his heart. And in that place, we get to encounter God and experience all the freedom that comes with it. I just think that's, that's our first job. It's where we come alive. You know, the living creatures, day and night, minister before God. And I always wonder this, they're alive. Why are they called living creatures? Why is there an emphasis that they're living? Because I think there's never a time where you are more alive than when you're beholding the Lord. And because they're covered in eyes and they are forever looking upon God and ever worshiping him, it's like they're so full of life, <laughs> they have to be marked out as living creatures. Yes, we know they're alive, but no, you don't understand. Because they're forever gazing on his beauty, they're living. They're full of life as they behold the one who's infinite beauty. And so it is with us. Um, the scriptures say regarding our worship and our intercession, it says that our worship and intercession comes up before God as, please, as a pleasing aroma. Have you guys ever read that? Um, now, I believe there's, there's a lot of symbolism and imagery in there, but it's symbolism of a real thing, that our worship, our prayers are pleasing to God. And it was a few years ago I had this picture that I want to just give back to you. Um, I know this happens to me a lot. I'm sure you can identify. I'll be in the other room with my kids playing, and it's getting close to dinner time, and we're deep in some type of game. Toys are everywhere, and all of a sudden it's like, I'm like, do you guys smell that? And I'm like, oh, man, Mommy's making something really good. And what happens is the game stops immediately. Right? Because it smells so good. It, it's so good, I have to stop what I'm doing, go down in there. Crystal's like, this is true. <laughs> and, it, and I have to look at what is producing this aroma. And I want to taste it. I, it's like, it's such a good smell, it literally stopped what I was doing. Now, that imagery falls short in some respects because God is not distracted with other things. But the point is, when you and I come together and start lifting up this aroma before God, it's like, that's home church. <laughs> That's my son, that's my daughter. It's so pleasing to me. And, and he moves, and I will say, though, he moves close in the sense of he's in us, but this is the manifest presence of God. This is like, oh, there's something drawing on his heart. And this is where in the midst of these settings, it's like all of a sudden you've been in it where it's deep in worship, we're encountering God, and it's like his presence is just, it happened this morning. My goodness, like it got so rich in the midst of, of worship this morning. It's an aroma that was lifted, and God's responding with himself. I just think it's so beautiful. Um, so, where are we? Okay. Are you guys good? Oh, we're going to go to Acts 13. I just want you to see that it, it mentions that David prepared a place. Do you guys see that language in verse 1 of 1 Chronicles 15? It says, and he prepared a place to pitch the tent. I just want to lay this before you, that when it comes to this ministering to the Lord, David didn't just say, it'll happen if it meant to happen. <laughs> he was very intentional of creating a space to do this. He, it just, he wasn't haphazard. He says, no, we're going to prepare a place where we're actually going to invest resources, time, money. I'm going to pay people to come and bless God and thank God. Do you know that David had individuals who their sole job was to thank the Lord? I always think this is mind-blowing. Can you imagine Someone coming up to you and saying, what do you do for a living? <laughs> and I say, oh, I thank God. <laughs> and I like, no, I'm grateful too. It says, no, no, you don't understand. They write psalms and songs, and I go before God, and I just thank him day and night. Because when we start understanding these spiritual realities, like 
the, the power of agreement, everything that we shared, how gratitude opens doors, like that is such a powerful function. You're not wasting time when you come in and thank God in, in the house of prayer. So as I mentioned before, when Jesus steps on the scene, he doesn't abolish this, but as the son of David, he actually it brings it into its fullest expression for all the things I share. And everyone is in Christ, is a royal priest. The ark is in you, and we get to now come, really come before the Lord and behold his face. And I want to leave us with a new covenant picture of it in Acts 13. So we'll close out here. Acts 13. So loud. <laughs> Acts 13 will be on the screen as well. Again, if some of you are, this is something what we're talking, this principle is meant to be lived out in our individual lives. But for us as a community, we do this when we gather on Sundays, but we especially do it uh, in the prayer room. So we're going to leave, we're going to close here. Acts 13 lays before us what I see as a divine order of ministries. Now, I say order and not rule because this is not law, this is not rule, and God can trump order any time he wants, and he has many times. But I do see there's this interesting flow of how ministries should, should function, I believe, and it gives you a picture for how we approach ministry in this body. So what you have in Acts 13 is this is, this is where the early church is first gathering. In fact, this is where they're called Christians in Antioch. And so you get divine insight into, it's like, you peel back the curtain. It's like, what was the early church doing when they first started? What did their gatherings look like? Well, Acts 13 gives you a picture of what these gatherings first look like. So let's read it. It says, now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers. So I'm going to assume all fivefold are still functioning strongly here as this is un un unraveling. You have prophets and teachers, Barnabas, uh, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menin, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. So you've got some heavy hitters in this gathering. You have prophets, teachers, Saul here is, that's Paul, right? That's a Hebrew name and a Greek name. So, and then you have Barnabas. So you have men of influence. Now let's read what happens in verse 2. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said. Now just stop for a moment. If you have the New King James or King James or there's some, certain other translations, that word worshiping, it's the word that's used for ministering. So what it's saying is that they're gathered together, and what they're doing is ministering to the Lord through their worship. So they're ministering to God, they're fasting, uh, and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit begins to speak and say, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul, that's Paul, for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Okay, so this is going like, to kind of put a bow on where we've been. <laughs> First, you have... Again, you have some pretty significant individuals that are gathering here. Prophets, teachers, you have Paul, Barnabas. But the question is, what are they doing when they get there? And notice, they're not first prophesying. They're not first teaching. They're not first ministering to one another. What's the first thing that they're all doing? They are ministering to the Lord. The first thing they do is they're coming together and they're beginning to worship God. It says they're praying and they're fasting. So their first act is they're ministering. In fact, that word that I mentioned, ministry, it's liturgio, which is where we get the word liturgy. It literally means performance of priestly or ministerial function. 
So yes, there's prophets, yes, there's teachers, there's Paul's apostolic. All these figures are, are present, but what are they first functioning as? In their priestly identity. They're first coming before God and ministering to God, and they're unified in this. And as they're ministering to the Lord, who takes over? <laughs> Holy Spirit. Ministry to the Lord sets ourselves up for Holy Spirit to now lead gatherings. And I don't know about you, but I want to forever grow in this principle and this truth. When we come together to say, God, our first desire is to come in and give you what you're worthy of. We will receive many things, but our first thing is to give to you all glory, all praise, all thanksgiving. Revelation 4 says that Jesus is the lamb who is worthy to receive all blessing and honor and glory. He's worthy to receive all of it. So we come in giving that. When we do that, this moves on the heart of God, and all of a sudden, Holy Spirit begins to move in our gatherings. And what happens is freedom starts getting released. Victory starts getting released. Holy Spirit starts giving strategy. How many times, again, I'll say this morning, this is what happened this morning. We came in to minister to God, and as we're ministering to the Lord, Holy Spirit starts moving, and there's freedom taking place. I know if all could come up and testify, you probably have God was saying this to me, God was doing this. God starts speaking to us. I've seen, I've experienced, and I've seen in others, people get more free in a gathering like that than in like eight hours of lecturing. And I'm not against that, but it's like when you, when you have that type of submission to the Lord, man, God will do so much more in a moment than we could ever do with all of our, our striving. So you come and you minister to God. There's this exchange with the Lord, and all of a sudden, Holy Spirit's releasing strategy, his heart, his wisdom. In fact, notice what it says in verse 2. You can just go back a verse. It says, While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas, Saul, Paul, for the work to which I have called them. The Holy Spirit is starting to reveal the burden of the Lord. <laughs> when we come in to bless God like this, God starts giving us his burden now. He starts sharing, because we're not here to say, God, what are you going to give me? My three songs, my 30 minute preaching, and I'm out. <laughs> When I'm not, it's not that I'm against that, but most of the time, those type of services are set up for what does man want? Yes. Here we're saying, God, what do you want? And now all of a sudden when you do that, and we let us go past some of the uncomfortable stuff, wow, we've been singing the song for a while now, but you lean in, if that's what we feel God's doing, we lean into it, all of a sudden God starts speaking, he releases his burden, his strategy. There's a dozen missionary trips they could have taken. They could have went anywhere and fulfilled the Great Commission, but because they ministered to God and they waited on the Lord, then the Holy Spirit said, now I'll tell you exactly where I want you to go. Heidi Baker, who's seen so much happen in Africa, was working so hard to see God move. And the Lord said, if you would give me my, your whole morning, like, I mean, hours in the morning. I know not everyone can do that. That was her full-time job as a missionary. But he said, if you would seek me and minister to me every morning for, like, hours, he said, I'll do more in the afternoon than you could do, like, in a lifetime. So he started giving, she started giving her mornings, and all of a sudden God would say, I want you to go here, you're going to find this person here, you're going to do this, and all of a sudden it's like boom, 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 all of a sudden kingdom breakthrough's taking place. Th this is like the, the part of, uh, this is what I desire, and I think the temptation for me is to want to run ahead of that. L let's just get into the laying on of hands, let's just get into the, the breakthrough, but God says, hold on. It's when we start ministering to him where we know what's on his heart. He starts saying, there's people struggling with heaviness here. <laughs> And now, listen, wait a minute. Now we can come around and start praying for that, and we see people get set free. You guys with me? So here's how I'll, I'll bring this thing down. There are three types of ministries I see unfolding in this passage, and it's three ministries that we engage in, and there's a flow. It's not law, but there's a flow. 
All right? The first ministry is ministry up. It's up, in, and out. Say that with me. Up, in, and out. So this is easy to remember, right? Up means ministry to the Lord. So we, we come in ministering to God in the prayer room in here. Holy Spirit begins to move, and then we transition to now responding to what he's highlighting and doing, and we start ministering in. How did it happen in this gathering? Well, the Holy Spirit speaks. How did the Holy Spirit speak? Did the, did the roof get opened up and he spoke with an audible voice? He can certainly do that. But who was gathering there? Prophets. How did Holy Spirit speak? He came upon one of the prophets, I'm convinced. And he started saying, hey, this is what God wants to do. When we minister up, Holy Spirit starts moving. Now gifts start activating. Every, God starts moving through people, words of knowledge, all this stuff. And we start releasing these things in our gatherings. They laid hands on one another, which is ministry in, right? We have altar calls where we say, hey, we feel like God's doing this today. We're going to lay hands and pray for that. That's ministry in. And then the last thing they do is it's ministry out. Where do Saul and Barnabas get sent? Out to the lost. So this is the way we, this is the way we structure this body. We say our first ministry is up. Then we minister to one another in as we're in our gatherings. And the last ministry is then we go out and release what God has given to us in that place. And it's really simple. And again, the temptation is to want to bypass ministry up and even ministry in a lot of times. And a lot of times it's because we know we have the answer. That's true. And we see the burden. Well, I mean, we, have the, we see the brokenness around us. But when we bypass ministry up, I think we lose. It's like that's where there's the authority. That's where the life is given. Without it, we get burnt out. Without it, we're relying on the ministry to keep us going rather than the encounter with God. So when our ministry is continually Godward first, then our ministry manward is, comes with freshness, anointing, authority, life. Without ministry unto the Lord, we could be a mile wide, so many classes, so many programs, but an inch deep. The depth, the depth is when you have people stepping into priesthood and really like, per, like giving the imagery, going behind the veil and really seeing him and really encountering him and God begins to take over. So I'll leave you with this. If we would only take time to draw near to God and to minister to him, I believe we'd come into possession of a remarkable sense of discernment for his purposes, his kingdom, and his desire. All right? Um, and for those, as I have often felt, I don't have time to come before God like this. It's a waste. <laughs> I know life can get busy. Um, and oftentimes, the first thing that we do is we cut out this type of time with the Lord, individually and with one another. First off, Daniel Kalenda once said, and it convicted me deeply, he said, if I offered you to sit in a room and I'd give you a million dollars, would you do it? Yeah, because we value a million dollars. <laughs> if I said, I'll offer you to sit in a room and you get God, do we value God the same way? Right? So that's the idea. The, the reality is I need to look at my own life and say, ah, I'm valuing other things above the presence of the Lord. But I want you to know it's never a waste because just think about the significance of this moment. From here is where Paul gets commissioned. Paul was converted on the road to Damascus, but this is where he's called. Meaning all the letters we read today, two-thirds of the New Testament written by this man, where was the launching point for that ministry? Right here. Because he ministered to God and took time and he heard the voice of God and stepped into what God had for him. So we never, we never waste time when we come before the Lord. And when we do this, we build a rhythm of what we say in and out. We come in before God, encounter him, get his heart, his strategy, all those things. And then he releases us out to go into work, our families, whatever it may be. And from the overflow, we minister. And we just keep this rhythm in our life. 
come before the Lord in the prayer room and come out again. Amen? So as we go into a, a new year, we're going minister, to minister up first. <laughs> we minister in and then we minister out. And uh, we're going to walk in our priestly identity. And we're going to take it serious to minister to God and the privilege of that. Uh, and we're going to follow David's leadership that was set apart. That we're going to make the ark, Jesus, central to everything that we do. All right? So let's have the ushers come up. I want to just close in, in, uh, in communion. We'll leave it right here. And then uh, for anyone who needs prayer, we'll open it up like this. We're so happy you could join us on the Home Church Podcast. We pray this week's message encourages you to behold the Lord Jesus and bring his kingdom wherever you go. You can visit us online at myhomechurch.org, subscribe to our YouTube channel, or follow us on social media. If you would like to give to this ministry, text the amount to 84321. Bless you.